There may be a lot wrong with the world right now, but there's also a lot that's right. For example, there's Travis Wright. That's me. And there's also Dell Wright. That's not me. A professor of law at the UMKC School of Law, Dell teaches in the areas of finance, business, securities, crypto, and tax. His current research focus is crypto and the regulation of blockchain technologies. And he's also the author of a book titled A Short and Happy Guide to Bitcoin, Blockchain, and Crypto. He's here with us today. So let's focus on what's right with the world with our two rights don't make a wrong. Episode number 440 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Who's bad? If two rights don't make a wrong, what do three rights make? Well, I mean, I was thinking about our friend Larry Wong. It could be two rights and a Wong. <laughs> something wrong with that (laughs) welcome to the bad crypto podcast the show where we're right most of the time i'm right all the time but i'm not always correct Uh, and i'm not always calm but i am joel calm (laughs) (laughs) and this is the calm before the storm welcome everybody to all the bad puns that you could possibly stomach in a matter of 30 seconds. This is the Bad Crypto Podcast, and we're glad you're here. Had a great day yesterday for NFT Day, Mr. Travis, right? That's right. We were in Albania for the event, right? Well, you are. Oh, that's right. I was. I was in my hotel room in Albania um, having a great conference, man. I tell you what, that was a fun event, was it not? It was a great day. It was a long day. You know, when we did virtual blockchain week, we did six days in a row and it was like five hours a day, but this was an eight hour day, you know, Mm -hmm. in one chunk. And I'm like, it's, you know, it's not like it's hard work, but being on all day, you know, and having to host is like, okay, I know, get the world's smallest violin out. Well, it ended for me at about 1 a.m. So it's like you started off and it was like pow, pow, pow. But the thing is, is that, I got back to the hotel room at about 4.30, because about 4.25 or so, because I thought it began at 5, but it started at 6 my time. So I actually had an extra hour and a half of sitting around before it even started. <laughs> I know you hate sitting around, too. Oh, sitting around, sitting around. Um, I wish I had a good transition here. I don't. eToro is one of our sponsors, and hopefully by now you have opened up your eToro wallet. If you are a U.S. citizen, you can get $50 in Bitcoin from myself and Mr. Travis Wright. It's really easy to do. Look, they've got the copy trader functionality, $0 commission trading, social trading, competitive transparent fees. Go to badco.in forward slash eToro. And once you see how to open up your account there in the eToro app, you'll simply mail us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com with your information. And uh, we'll send you $50 in Bitcoin. Takes about one to two weeks for us to get those confirmations with eToro and send that to you. But love getting those emails from you guys, seeing that you are getting onboarded onto eToro. And um, I don't actually have a good segue here either. So let's go talk to Professor Del Wright. The law. It's a very serious topic, especially when we talk about finance, business, securities, crypto, and tax. But it doesn't have to be serious. In fact, the guest we have with us today is a professor of law at UMKC, 
over there near Mr. Travis Wright, and he is the author of A Short and Happy Guide to Bitcoin, Blockchain, and Crypto. I have a feeling we're going to learn a lot and not be super serious. Welcome to Bad Crypto, Professor Del Wright, Jr. Thank you. Junior. Yeah. Thank you very much. Just call me Del. Not Junior? No, never. <laughs> De don't call me. Del don't Jr., call get me. over here. <laughs> Makes him flash back to when he was a kid, and dad and mom were like, "Junior, like, what's your middle name, Dell?" Oh, we're not going there. We're not going there. That's a really weird His middle, middle name. name. Is Dell? His first name is Professor Dell. We're not going there, uh, right, Junior? No, yeah. I just, I just now noticed that you guys have the same last name. I just woke up and I'm like, oh, it's it's right and right. I, you know, I, I wish one day we're going to have a right and wrong on the same show, but. We had a we we we've had we've chatted with a Wong. That's as close that's, as we got. That's as close as we've gotten. Right in Wong. Uh, so Dell, give us a, a quick little bio on yourself. Uh, say as much as you want to say. All right. Well, I am a recovering tax lawyer. I started my life pretty much creating financial weapons of mass destruction at banks. Decided, or they decided that. They should get out of that business because, well, you know, things happened in the late 90s that were problematic. And uh, my background is basically in finance policy. I got my master's from Harvard in finance policy. I went to law school, University of Chicago. So I figure, what can I do in finance policy that is productive for society at that point? And then I started prosecuting people who cheated on their taxes. And that was a lot of fun because white collar criminals are some of the best criminals to go after because juries never like them because they're getting away with stuff that generally people shouldn't get away with, like stealing from poor people for greed. So after that, went back to practicing for a very short period, worked for someone who drove me absolutely up a wall and decided to escape to academia. Um, wrote a few tax articles, but then one of my students said, Professor Wright, what do you know about Bitcoin? And this was in the securities law class, and I had absolutely no clue. And I said, I don't know. And then I said, that's not your job. Your job is to know. Mm. And so I dug in and I've been digging ever since. And it, it has become the most fascinating thing that I could possibly work on. So your student said, it's your job to know, Professor Wright. No, I said that. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, nice. I, yeah, I said, you know what, I can't, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was shirking my responsibility by not knowing about this thing. Mm -hmm. It was like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Yeah. I and should know. I should know. There you go. And so I figured it out. And fortunately, somebody said, well, you could write a book about it. I said, uh, okay. Because, again, my general life plan is bite off more you, than you can chew and then chew it. <laughs> that's a great that's a great policy there. So so when, when so when was this whenever you first heard about Bitcoin and, and then and what was that first part like when you started going down the rabbit hole and what what really grabbed you? Well, I'd say it was 2018, pretty around September 2018. And what got me was kind of the econ theory, like, you know, my, my graduate school work was in finance. And I said, wait, this is kind of like game theory applied to finance. And 
also it takes you out of the government control of your own wealth. I said, this is fantastic. Mm. And I, 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 that was it. Just the understanding how it really allows you to take control over your own financial sovereign. Well, basically they have financial sovereignty. I said, this is the greatest thing ever. And I was in. And it was more fun than prosecuting uh, white collar crime. Uh, that's a tough one, but yes, because you can only do that when working for a DOJ and DOJ wanted to send me around the country all the time, which made me not see my family. And I kind of have grown accustomed to the woman who I'm related to by marriage. <laughs> well, you also, you prosecuted uh, organized crime, right? So that can, you know, hey, I don't know what happened to the professor. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Joy bag of donuts, uh, you know, they thought I'm out of swim with the fishes. Well, and, you know, one time, and it's strange, one time I was out with the family and I just so happened to notice, I'm like, oh, those are the guys we're prosecuting. And I said, I don't know if I like to do this and be in the community. It was one thing when I was all over the country prosecuting, I never saw those people, but for a while I actually prosecuted my own community and no, don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You thought I'm allergic to, to death. I break out and not breathing. Yeah, absolutely. That's the guy who did hey, get that guy. <laughs> like, no, uh, that wasn't me. Uh, I'm, I'm a professor now. So, so who did you write the book for? Short and Happy Guide to Bitcoin, Blockchain, and Crypto. You know, it, it, I wrote the book primarily for people who are like, I don't understand the subject matter. And They're then like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I right? don't know. Yeah. Because the, the book really breaks down into three parts. One is kind of like, look, this is how it works and why people should be interested in it. The second part talks about the value proposition. Like, okay, why is this thing valuable? Why should I care? What is the behind the money aspect of this? And the third part gets into, all right, now that you understand what it is and why it's valuable, how does the law treat it? And so it, it really serves as a complement to any course that might be covering those. But it also, I wrote it for anybody who's like, I don't understand this stuff and I need to understand it either for my business, you know, especially entrepreneurs, any lawyers who are going to advise entrepreneurs or policymakers. And really that's the audience I'd love to hit is the policymakers who make a bunch of dumb rules because they have no idea what they're doing. There's a lot of people out there who do not know what they're doing. They just kind of play it, play it by ear. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of this is, is sort of self-taught, right? I mean, Whenever most people started in crypto, there was no classes. There, there weren't a lot of books. And this was all just sort of, you know, the people were the early pioneers sort of figuring it out. And, um, and so now that you've gone down the rabbit hole and you've written a book, what are some of the, your favorite applications of not just Bitcoin or crypto, but blockchain in general? What are some of the things that you're seeing where blockchain can have a, a really strong impact? Well, two of the bigger things to say outside of Bitcoin is one is stable coins, particularly in emerging markets where they have unstable currencies or high inflation. You think of a place like Venezuela, where they have, you know, double digit or triple digit inflation. And if they can just go to a stable coin, it gets them out of 
all the losses of their own wealth that happens with inflation. And I think that's a huge application for crypto going forward. The, just the, having stable coins and allowing people to opt out of bad currencies because it also will force governments to better policies because if they can't just print money any way they want, basically all willy-nilly, then they have to then change their policies and have a far more disciplined economic approach, which is better for all the citizens. And it also probably can keep them from stealing from their citizens so much. So that's one big application. The other one I'd say is supply chain stuff, right? Understanding where stuff came from. And that's the example I lead with in the book, you know, and it's an example of you want to buy organic Kenyan dark rose coffee. And how do you know it's organic Kenyan dark rose coffee and not, God forbid, decaf, right? And so you figure that out and you can use supply chain to do it. That is, in fact, the story of BB and Sean. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. I happen to be looking at the uh, the the look inside me on Amazon for you know while your book is cur- the uh, soft cover version is currently sold out. You can go by the Kindle. In fact, I'd like to do a um, a masterpiece theater reading here of the opening paragraph <laughs> of the book. The innovation of blockchain technologies is that they reduce or eliminate the need for trust and trusted intermediaries in economic relationships. Blockchains are, at their core, trust machines. In a world increasingly both more and less connected, that innovation is valuable, as evidenced by the media attention and investments in blockchain technologies. This book digs deeper into how blockchains serve as trust machines, exploring how blockchain technologies technologies increase the efficiency of trust, explaining some use cases for blockchains, and describing the state of the law for blockchain applications. And I am available for weddings and bar mitzvahs. Hey, are you available for the audible version? (laughs) (laughs) Only if I can read it like that. (laughs) What's the guy's guy's name? Alistair uh, on Masterpiece Theater. I can't remember. It wasn't Alistair Crowley. That was the the book of Satan guy, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Crowley. Oh my goodness. I, I, I'm sure I have a question in there somewhere, but I don't. So I'll pass it to Travis. Right on. So, so what do you, th- what do you see is next now? Cause I mean, we look at, we look at your, your career. You've got a, you've got a prolific background. You've done a lot of stuff. I mean, you went Harvard and then department of justice. And then, you know, you do the, the weapons of mass destruction with bank of America. You were talking about, <laughs> What what was that all about? Because I mean, when we're talking about these derivatives and and, and all that stuff, like, and, and let's maybe even expound on that of like of, of, of those derivatives and, and maybe when is the bubble going to crash? Because like we, we're in such a crazy time right now with the economy and a lot of that stuff. These derivatives and debt got packaged up and and kicked down the road, kind of kicked the can down the road. Like when is when is the end of the road? <laughs> yeah, if if I could tell you when the end of end of the road is going to happen, I wouldn't be doing this. I would be sitting on a beach in Bali. But right, it is coming, and you know, and one of the things when I was at the bank, we actually didn't go out on that the far edge of the risk curve. Because, you know, quite frankly, an institution like Bank of America is not in the business of taking huge risk 
and putting its balance sheet in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. But we saw those kinds of products and we understood why people will want to engage in that kind of product because it's moral hazard. It's heads I win, tails you lose. So they're saying, look, if we make this huge bet, it either pays off or somebody else has to pay. And that's what was going on in that last derivative bubble. And that's starting to happen a little bit more now. And, you know, that, you know, the, the derivatives we put together at Bank of America were more of how can we super leverage something that we are fairly certain is going to be profitable, but not put the bank at risk. But other, other players in that game were saying, oh, screw it. Let's just go for it because the government will ultimately pay the bill if this doesn't pan out. And the government did. So this is kind of where, you know, uh, dealing with organized crime paid off again. You deal with the banks. <laughs> that's I mean, how you I learned. Said it, you're like, oh, hey, so listen, if it doesn't pay off, somebody got to pay. I mean, that sounds like <laughs> the same thing to me. Yeah. <laughs> it, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's I guess that's just the way of the world. The banks, um, you know, run the system. That's why they are resistant, uh, if not outright hostile to cryptocurrency and blockchain and are doing everything within their power. And that power is really limited, right, mm -hmm. to stop blockchain, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, interestingly, the you know, in my what I call my light reading, the Federal Reserve just did a white paper on how digital currencies, a central bank digital currency could change the game. And one of the things that people realize is if you have a central bank digital currency, you don't really need a commercial bank anymore. Like if all your money is digital, then why do you need a bank account? All you need is a phone. And what is that going to do to the banking industry? That's an, a huge issue that's coming up. And it's going to be, I think it'd probably be here already were it not for the coronavirus, because mm. China is planning on its own central bank digital currency. And once that comes out, eventually the U.S. government, probably early next year, is going to figure out, oh, we need to do this too. Because a China with a central bank digital currency is a more powerful China. Much more powerful, because they can extend their reach into a lot of emerging markets and effectively close the U.S. out of those markets. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that, there's been a lot of discussions that potentially the Chinese digital yuan could become the next world reserve currency. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And part of one of the things I get into the I do in the book and I go into a fairly deep dive on this is talking about the origins of dollar supremacy and why the dollar, how the dollar became supreme, which goes into the petrodollar and understanding mm -hmm. the petrodollar and really unpacking that and what it will mean for the U.S. and China, because, you know, in the last few years, the U.S. has been trying to weaponize the dollar. And now countries are saying we're opting out of that system. Like, no, you're not going to weaponize the dollar. We're going to allow, you know, Iran to sell oil directly to China and priced in Chinese yuan, which eliminates the ability of the U.S. to censor and suppress Iranian oil imports and exports, which I know you're going down to the rabbit hole here, but this is one of the things that basically takes power away from the U.S. dollar. I'm not, and again, one of the things I do in the book is I don't get into the whether this is good or bad. I'm just trying to tell you what it is. 
you what can it make, is. Yeah, you yeah. can make the decision yourself. Well, the whole, the, you know what? When you break it all down, the whole world is a rabbit hole. When you start breaking breaking things down, you're like, yeah. you know, there's a whole lot of things that aren't taught, right? Yeah. And and there's a whole lot of things that that are going into this geopolitical stuff that's going on, and 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 crypto is right in the mix, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and I and and a lot of people sort of just brush it off. Oh, digital money, criminals are using it, and you know we have no need to no need for that. And you know, I think. I think a lot of times in America, and Joel and I, we've chatted this many times, is that the way that America's handled securities and handled crypto has kicked a lot of innovation out of America, and they've gone to other countries. And and I think that's that's a really big problem. So maybe talking about some security-type things and some questions around that, what is it going to take for America to figure out that we need to evolve with cryptocurrency and not kick out all the people who are trying to build these new things. So they're going to other countries. Well, it's fortunately it's already happening. Um, I forgot her name, but crypto mom, the uh, she's one of the SEC. Hester Hester Pierce. Pierce, right. She has a very good proposal out there to basically to provide a safe space for crypto innovation so that companies can offer things without, kind of following all those rules that are set up that are basically set up for non-crypto companies that will hopefully not force those companies to go overseas. But I, t- I talk about that that whole problem kind of in the CFTC, SEC section of the book, where it really says, hey, wait a minute, we're screwing ourselves by pushing all these innovators into other countries. And mm-hmm. you know we're even doing things like extending US regulation, like that whole... I think it was uh, BitMEX, where CFTC is thinking about going after BitMEX, because even though BitMEX prohibits U.S. customers, U.S. customers have figured out a way around that. And the CFTC is threatened or at least made, you know, overtures about going after BitMEX, even though they are trying to keep U.S. customers out. And, you know, when we're extending our regulations to stifle innovation it only hurts us in the long run yeah it's it's not a good thing and you would think that um hopefully there are some in congress and and in the president's cabinet that are digging deeper into this and have their eyes wide open i mean how can you not the stories out there about the digital one um you know overtaking the u.s dollar they see this they know what's going on how do you stand by and not do something yeah i You know, I don't want to talk about the politics of it, but I'm just hoping in 2021 we will get far more aggressive and consistent policy. I don't want to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to talk about it then. So so you've got some experience in banking. Yes. Now you're in academia and you've had experience going after people with tax issues. So what are some of the tax implications and how do you view crypto and taxes and maybe how from your experience how should they be taxed because right now it seems like it's a little wonky well the technical term for what the irs did as far as tax policy is screwed the pooch Mm. okay that's the technical term yeah that's the technical term they screwed the pooch they screwed up the how to tax crypto in so many different ways it's actually hard to describe Mm. um Part of the problem is just how they deal with forks, right? And if you think of a fork, let's say you owned 
and one of the best example is let's say you owned Ethereum pre the Dow fork, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what Ethereum did is created a separate new fork to undo the Dow, right? And I think hopefully all most of your listeners are somewhat familiar with that, mm -hmm. right? But if you really think about it, the original Ethereum chain was the one that wasn't forked. Well, under the technical reading of the tax code, all of your old Ethereum would then be taxable, right? Because it's whatever you get, the new coin is always the taxed one. Whether hmm. or not you sell it or not, whether you sell it or not, it's the tax one. So effectively, Ethereum was the new coin, even though everybody treats Ethereum Classic as the new coin. How, how can they, they can't keep up with this. I mean, I, I, I believe it's everybody's, um, it's wise, pay your taxes right. and do the best you can to figure this stuff out. But it's hard enough for us, it, let alone CPAs, that the majority of them, I would say, don't know how to treat this. Right. They've created a, an internal cluster, haven't they? Oh, absolutely. The administrability issues are crazy because you can't do it. Plus, I don't know if you're familiar with this, they added the crypto question on the tax return for 2019 which is in 2019, did you acquire, buy, sell, exchange, whatever, any quote unquote financial interest in crypto? I have a lot of problems with that because first, it's none of your business whether I acquired any crypto in 2019. It's your business whether I have any taxable gain or income with respect to crypto, but whether I bought it is none of your business. So I have big privacy concerns about giving the government information about what I own. And, you know, I analyze it to, or analyze it, I can never say that word, I compare it to, if the government said, do you own a gun? And you had to answer that on your tax return? Is that a legitimate question? And I think mm. not. So why? Well, they, they just want to know if they come to collect, you know, if they're going to need to bring uh, armed guards or not. Yeah, but we have this, this, this little thing called the Constitution that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you government. If you want information, there's a way to get it. It's called the summons, a subpoena. You need things like reasonable cause, probable mm -hmm. cause, reasonable suspicion. You can't just ask me if I own something because it's none of your business, right? And financial privacy should be private unless the government has a legitimate reason to know. And because you haven't seen enough tax returns reporting crypto is not a good enough reason to ask that question. Right? Mm. And that's what I'm writing next. Yeah. So what's the solution? <sighs> well, <laughs> sigh. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, in, in academia, we call that the normative and mm. like, well, what? I don't know yet. And you know, I'm, that's the article I'm writing next. And I quite frankly have no good idea about what is the best answer. But one of the other problems with taxes all those airdrops are taxable, right? And so every time if you own some crypto and you get an airdrop, that the value of that new crypto is taxable, whether or not you own, you know anything about it. Because the way the rules read, it says, as long as you are able to exercise dominion and control over it, which means you might have tax on every airdrop you ever get even if it becomes worthless six months later, like the rules, pretty much all worthless though. It, it, well, <laughs> I, 
I, I I get what you're saying, but I don't know that I've ever received one airdrop that was worth anything. But it, <laughs> but it might have been worth something on the day you got it, and then it All went right. to zero, right? And but the way the rules work is, if it was worth something on the day you got it, then you have tax, which is okay. A crazy you, you've rule. got millions of people that aren't looking at that at all right yeah, I mean, absolutely because I, I how in the world can, they, they would have to staff up a hundred times over you know what they have right now in order to even begin tracking this properly yeah and that's that's a big part of the problem is they set up a system of rules that are extremely difficult to follow and what you what you're really encouraging people is to ignore the rules because you made them so difficult which is not good policy for the country. I mean, you know, deep down, I, you know, I am fond of this country. I worked for the Department of Justice. I was a Marine. I understand what the IRS's job is, but don't make it difficult. Don't encourage people to be scoff laws by making the rules so hard to follow. And that's what they've done. Damn scoff laws. Yeah. Tell you what. Great stuff. So what what else should we talk about today, Professor? There's, well, a, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. Anything else we want to chat about? Well, uh, you know, there's one story I would like to share. Um, you know, we, we, and this goes back to where we started the show a bit. You, you said one. what was one of the things that really got me? I don't know how if you guys watch Star Trek. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, so ne- next Generation. I enjoyed Next Generation. Okay. One of the things about Star Trek is they had the replicator, right? Everybody kind of understands the replicator in Star Trek. You could put something in there and it would replicate and create whatever it is, exact copy. So one of the questions that really got me going in crypto was, in a society where you can replicate anything, what serves as money? Like, think about it. Like, okay, if if it's if you can just kind of take gold, put it in a replicator, and create more gold, then gold has no value. Well, we already have people replicating fiat currency. Exactly. Exactly. So all these things that can be replicated, but if you have something so efficient as a replicator, then what is going to serve as money in that society? And the only answer that I came up with was crypto. It's the only thing that could actually serve. And one, you know, I make an, uh, I talk about this in the book a bit. There's a group in MIT who are figuring out how to actually build a replicator. Mm. And I'm like, okay, if we can truly replicate anything, and that's probably 20 or 30 years down the line of, yeah, that's probably going to be fairly feasible about 20 or 30 years from now, what could serve as money? I mean, if you could make an exact copy of any kind of asset or piece of paper like money, then what can serve as money if everybody can just duplicate it? Objection, leading the witness, Your Honor. (laughs) (laughs) Right, And, and so... When I discovered crypto and I kind of had that answer, that was my kind of aha moment. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, this makes sense. Well, it does. And I, and, I, and sort of the layman's terms on this is like, I can, you know, Joel sends me a PDF or an MP3. I can send it to everyone. Yep. But I can't do that with that dollar, right? With, with crypto. I right. can't take that $10 from him and then send it to somebody else. I no longer have that $10. And now this replicator thing you're throwing at me, is like it's 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 scrambling my noodle. Like, <laughs> what what are they what are they doing? Are they just rearranging atoms or something to recreate this thing? Or what, yeah. what's the premise behind? Yeah, it? pretty much everything is fundamentally carbon. And if you they're using carbon nanotubes, 
to kind of create like a 3d printer kind yeah of. basically i mean oh a, a 3d printer is step one to a replicator yeah <laughs> there might be 20 steps but a 3d printer is step one doing with Damn. carbon is step you know maybe step 10 but we're getting there willy wonka had one of those right well his he sent mike tv through the the tv airwaves from one place to another but that's you know, that was just one step shy of being able to clone him. Right. And quite frankly, I would love to be able to clone a poppy bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. <laughs> you want to clone a, a what? A bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. <laughs> what is that? Oh, it is the best bourbon out there. Can't you just mm. go buy it? No, 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 you can't. It, it's... You can't buy Pappy Van Winkle. Oh, if you have an extra eight or $9,000 sitting by... Yeah, you can. But generally I'm speaking. I'm going to look this up now. I, I got to see this here. Yeah. Pappy Van Winkle Pappy. Family Reserve is the flagship brand of bourbon whiskey owned by the old Rip Van Winkle Distillery Company. Nice. Distilled and bottled by the Sejuret Company at its Buffalo Trace Distillery in Frankfort, Kentucky. Yes. And it's expensive. Oh, boy, is it expensive. And it's hard to well, get. Well, it sounds like a shot is going to cost you a few hundred. It, it will. Well, you can you can get shots for a, you know I think the last time I saw a shot it was around two fifty. So nice. I, I'm on their what website. Are those crypto games. What are you saying? <laughs> I never you never use crypto to actually buy anything. You just hold on. So so is that a taxable event if you get some Pappy Van Winkle and you get a shot, drink a shot of it, and you pay for it with Bitcoin? Well, if you're smart, what you're going to do is borrow against your Bitcoin using a DeFi solution, then take the cash you borrowed to buy the Pappy. Uh-huh. They should and have a there is the, And there, my friends, is why DeFi is so important right there, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> DeFi, you know, and that's that's where my next book is going, um, is DeFi. Because it, it's such a great solution for a lot of people to have access to wealth in a way that takes the middle men or middle women out of the equation. Right. And DeFi, once they figure out how to do it right, which they're not there yet, but they're getting close, it will be a huge innovation. We we refer to them as middle persons here on this show okay. in order to be politically correct. That's only because we're the DeFi DoFi. We are. <laughs> Well, this is fantastic. Dell, we appreciate you coming on today. You guys can go to Amazon.com and just look up Dell Wright Jr., a short and happy guide to Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto. I just put Dell Wright Bitcoin. It came right up. Uh, as of this recording, the book is sold out in its physical form, but you can get the Kindle book even cheaper and instantly to your um your kindle device so go check it out there and uh we appreciate and a big it. shout out to adrian goss who introduced oh, yeah. us she's yes. a good friend of mine and said i saw professor wright do some things and you should chat with him and so here we are thanks thank, adrian yeah thank you both uh, i certainly appreciate being on the show if you ever have any questions any follow-up i'm happy to answer any questions anytime that's my job well i've got this this itch that i'm kind of <laughs> concerned about can you Help me with that. Absolutely. If you ever need to get some bourbon, get some shots of bourbon here in Kansas City, let me know. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll get, I, we will, I will take you up on that one. I'm going to get some of that Pappy coin. <laughs> Pappy, happy coin. It's DeFi whiskey. Yeah. Bourbon or whatever the hell you said it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Del. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Appreciate you.
Thank you, Del Wright. Appreciate you. And again, check out Dell's short and happy guide to Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto. Could be a really great gift for somebody that you're wanting to explain Bitcoin to in a really simple way as well. And uh, glad to have him here on the show. Yeah, and in Kansas City. So I can't wait to hang out with him sometime after this COVID craziness, right? I know. So ready for, for that to end. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, NFT Day, Travis. Now that uh, we've conducted our interview today, we had uh, Tobin Lent from Tops and Mark Seal from Tops. They uh, made some great announcements about a Series 2 of GPK coming up soon, as well as a burn of um, GPK Tiger King cards. Yeah. That they're going to lower the supply of the common cards that are out there and give people a brand new sketch card in exchange. That's what they're going to do. Pretty cool. They actually, we, we chatted with them and, and, and Joel had an idea and chatted over with uh, with the team. And yeah, they're like, you know what? That is a good idea. There are so many of commons of that particular set because there was so few numbers of cards, right? So Cool deal. They're going to burn what? Burn 200 of them. And that allows you to unlock a new sketch variation of their GPK card. Well, they haven't announced the number yet. I think they're still uh, doing the maths on it to figure out what uh, they're going to do. So uh, just, you know, pay attention to uh, the Nifty show because I'm sure we'll have the the news and updates. Also, yesterday they announced um, another digital set called Crash Gordon. It's um, based on a physical set that they did. And they released these packs yesterday and they sold out in seconds. I mean, it was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it, I mean, the first batch, I think it was three minutes. The set that was 3,000, and then they sold another 1,200 at the end, and that thing went on, and then boom, they said it was what 31 seconds. Yeah, it was 31 seconds for the other 1,200 packs. There was fewer packs than before, but also fewer card variations. Um, so that was a lot of fun. We also had uh, we got to speak with William Quigley again of Wax, and the dude's just on fire. Uh, mm-hmm. He's done so many cool things, you know, as an early investor in what PayPal. Um, you know, he's he's been around for some time, and they are intent on making Wax yeah. super waxy. Well, one of the guys who created Tether, he was talking about that his experience of being one of the inventors of stable coins, and how people were laughing at at them at their idea of creating and wrapping the U.S. dollar. And uh, there it is. Look at the stable coin space now. Who's laughing now, huh? <laughs> so this and many more guests were on. You know, we partnered with Jeremy Bourne of uh, Coin Genius and his team to put on this day-long event. We had Duncan Cock Foster from Nifty Gateway, uh, Devin Finzer from OpenSea, and, and many other guests. The replay for the entire eight-hour day is up on the Bad Crypto Podcast channel. And if you want to see that, go to the show notes for this episode. And it's badco.in forward slash 440. And towards the bottom, you will see NFT NFT Day replay with a link to that. Uh, over the next few weeks, we'll be chopping that up into individual segments for interviews with, you know, the, the different people we spoke with. But uh, there's some work ahead on that. So, you know, if you want to go ahead and just scroll through the uh, replay, you can find all the great content. A lot of great stuff. I'm actually thinking of changing my name, Mr. Joe Comp. What are you going to change it to? I'm going to change it to NFT Ravis. <laughs> Is NFT the first name and Ravis the last? Yeah, it's like it's, it's, no, it's like putting an apostrophe. It's NFT Ravis. 
Oh, that could be a rapper name too. Yeah. I'm NFT Ravis and I'm here to say we did NFT day and it went all the way yeah, yeah, to Albania. Yeah, we're from Albania. So I still want to know if you've seen any albinos in Albania. I'm not. Saw the no, most amazing uh, spring system within a mountain called uh, Blue Eye Albania. Do a search for that, Blue Eye Albania. And it's basically these 18 cenotes or underground springs that have popped up all over the mountain. And then they all run down into this big lake. And it's like blue turquoise and like light blue. It's like, it's, um, it's beautiful. And the water is ice cold. And people were just walking up with cups and drinking it. Very nice. Like, so yeah. when are you coming home, son? I don't oh. know when. Yes, it's eventually. Maybe not. You know? America's a little cray cray right now. <laughs> the whole here. world's cray cray. I'm over here in Travania. Mm. You know what's not cray is our sponsor, Divi. They're taking early signups for their new digital finance ecosystem that's going to offer crypto debit cards, instant bank accounts, and fiat to crypto on and off ramps right in the wallet the dream of crypto becoming a reality get in line it's easy to do it's not like you have to wait in line just go to wallet.diviproject.org enter your email done you're in line you don't have to like stick around and wait for anybody to call your number number five million three hundred ninety two thousand six hundred forty two i don't even have a segue for that either yeah well maybe we'll just send the show then tell everybody to stay back The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.